take your copy of the Word of God, and today we're going to uh, be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1. Because of Christmas, we're going to step out of our series in Matthew. So we're in Luke chapter 1. This was actually read last night, uh, verses 26 to 38, but I I wanted to speak on that. All right, uh, we all know the story, and we're going to talk about the story again today. And the story is about a young girl in the town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee, and that was on, at, in those days, the edge of the Jewish territory. And she was living another day just like she lived every single day. She was about her business as usual. Well, maybe I should correct that and say she was about God's business as usual. That was the type of girl that Mary was, and she was that girl every day. She wasn't some great leader uh, that God picked her, but she was a, a humble girl who loved Yahweh and served him by being faithful to him and to her family. She was probably doing her daily chores, and she did them to the honor and glory of God because of the kind of girl she was. And what happened to her that day was a result of, I think, what it teaches us in 2 Chronicles 16:9a, where it says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to find a heart that is completely his, and he then will strongly support that person. So I believe that in that day when the Messiah was to come, Yahweh's eyes swept the earth, and he found a Jewish girl of the tribe of Judah, a girl whose heart was completely his, and he conferred on her his grace. He chose her, in other words, and if you know Christ as your Savior, God has chosen you too. But she chose, he, she was chosen because she would do something very special for God that no one would ever else do, and that is be the mother of his son, the Savior, the Messiah. Her name in Greek is really Miriam, but since we're so used to calling her Mary, we, we call her Mary. She was probably 12 or 13 years old at the time. Nobody knows for sure. It was, it was her beauty that caught the eye of the Father, uh, and I mean the beauty of the heart, not the beauty of the outside. She may have been pretty on the outside, no one knows, but our God is the God who rushes right through those kinds of things, the externals, uh, to the things that are really important, so he bypasses that which is not so important to get to that which is important, which was her heart. Apparently, her heart was so beautiful that God declared that she would be the one to be the mother of the king of the universe and king of creation. She is the one that I want, God said, to be his mother. There is one by whom God will become flesh and dwell among his people, and it was this young lady. Now, uh, I want to look to the text here. Um, I don't know what it is about getting up here, but my allergies go nuts. I can't see anything. Instead of pretending like I'm reading, I'm actually going to dry my eyes and do it. Okay. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, and nobody knows where that's really coming from. Is it the sixth month since Elizabeth got pregnant or the beginning of the year? We don't know. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph out of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, you have found grace with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, Yahweh God, will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Now, if you don't believe in miracles, you don't believe in the supernatural, you're going to have a tough time with that account. But if you do, uh, it will be a blessing to us. If you have your bulletins there and you're following along, you can take notes there. My first point is this in verses 26 to 27. Gabriel is dispatched from heaven to a virgin of Israel who was engaged to be married to Joseph. And that's what betrothal is. It lasted about a year. In verse 26, one of the angels who stands, and I say one of because more than one does, who stands in the presence of Yahweh is an angel by the name of Gabriel. Uh, we would say in English that it means God is great. In Hebrew, we would say great is God. He is one by whom Yahweh gets messages to people on earth. So if God in his throne room wants to get, some me- get a message to somebody on earth, then what he does is he dispatches Gabriel, the angel, to go and to tell that person what the message is. And Yahweh used him a lot. He was one of the angels who appeared to Daniel when Daniel was so frightened of him that he fell to the ground and he could not stand. Uh, Gabriel had to help him, and I want you to see that for just a minute. If you go back to Daniel chapter 8, and we want to look first of all at Daniel 8.16. Now what this means is that the angel Gabriel has been around for hundreds of years, and he's still around today. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 8 of Daniel, And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of the Ulai, and he called out and he said, Gabriel, give this man understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came near, I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. And you turn over probably just about one page in your Bible to chapter 9 and verse 21. It says this, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man, the, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening sacrifice. And then he gave Daniel instruction. Gabriel's been around a long time. He's still around today. He still stands in the presence of the living God. And at this point in our uh, account of Mary, Uh, He has been sent to a virgin of Israel in a city of Nazareth, and this is what he's going to tell this young lady. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And so he, just six months prior, that is, uh, I'm talking about Gabriel, delivered a message to Zacharias, who had a hard time believing the message. Uh, Gabriel set him straight on that in verse 19 of, of Luke chapter 1 and says the angel answered and said to him that is that is uh, Zacharias I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God okay so this is this is a really special messenger and when he shows up you better listen 
And so he goes on to say, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He means about Elizabeth's pregnancy because she'd never been able to get pregnant, and they're both too old for that. And behold, you shall be silent and be unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So I want you to see a contrast between how this young lady handles Gabriel and what Zechariah handled Gabriel as. And you know what? Zechariah, he's a priest. He's supposed to be a man of God. He's supposed to know what God is doing. He's supposed to know what God is like. And uh, he reacts with disbelief, but not, not Mary, not Miriam. We are to connect Mary's response uh, to the less than reputable response of Zacharias. Gabriel has some pretty unbelievable things to say to this young lady, uh, but Mary not only believes him, but welcomes God's work in her life. And that's the, uh, the other important part. She not only believes what the messenger says, but believes that God is going to be able to do this in her life and welcomes it. In verse 27, Mary is physically untouched by a man. Uh, she is a virgin. And three times in this passage, twice in verse 27, once in verse 34, it makes it very clear that she is a virgin, sexually inexperienced in every way. And this speaks to her purity and her innocence in moral areas of life. And I want to remind you, just like it was for her, being moral, young people, is a choice. Being moral means that I, I'm going to choose to be moral with the help of God. Being immoral, everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. But it takes a man or a woman of God to have the strength to say, I'm going to be moral in my life. And that was Mary. This speaks to her purity, her innocence in the moral area. Being moral was her decision. She is in a betrothal period with a young man by the name of Joseph. Uh, this a young man had asked for her hand in marriage, and he was giving it, she was giving it back to him, and he offered her a, a cup of wine to seal that covenant. She drank it. Now he would go back to his dad's house, and he would build on top of his dad's house a place for them to live. And then someday, maybe a year from then, the dad would say, go get your bride. Well, we don't know how far along that all was, but uh, they're not, of course, living together. They shouldn't be. And this usually lasted a year, and somewhere they're in that time period, and they have uh, not been together. And so uh, she was considered uh, his wife, and he was considered her husband, though they had not consummated their marriage until the wedding day comes when Dad says, go and retrieve your bride. Well, her future husband is Joseph who is, like Mary, a direct descendant of King David. The Messiah has to be a descendant of the Davidic line of Judah because it was promised of him that he would be. Now, I want to mention this, probably not going to read it. You can read the, the text in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. It's in your bulletin there. But what I, the point I'm trying to make is this, okay? We're saying that Joseph is his father, though Joseph didn't, didn't father him right? And Mary is the mother, though she did uh, form with God's help this, this uh, child in the womb and gave birth to him. But what we're I interested here in is that Matthew and Luke go to great lengths to tell us this is the lineage of Mary and this is the lineage of, of Joseph, and they're both from Judah, but Joseph is not really his physical dad. Does it still count? And the answer is yes, based on Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. And what I want you to note there in that text, if you go back and read it, is that non-biological ancestry 
You with me? Non-biological ancestry is recognized in the Bible through leveret marriage. In other words, a man, if he had a brother who died and, he, and that brother had a wife and she didn't have a child, his duty was to go and raise up children to his brother's name, the brother who died. And that is, that is the same as a non-biological lineage. And that's recognized in the Bible. So as far as God's design for the Messiah and his parents, both Joseph and Mary, Mary and Joseph are a perfect fit, though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. His lineage, however, counts. And I want to make that point clear. In verses 28 to 31, Mary learns that God is with her. How would you like God to show up or send an angel and, and maybe a good or a tough time in your life say, hey, I just want to remind you, God's with you. God is with you. Would that change the way you felt that day? Mary learns that God is with her, and she is a favored of God and will bear the son that God will give her and will call his name Jesus. In verse 28, imagine just doing your normal daily routine and somehow an angel walks into the room and gives you a very uh, abnormal greeting. This is not a greeting you hear on the streets every day in Nazareth. Gabriel calls her a favored one of God. You ever wanted to be that favored one of God? You can be that just like her. This means that she is a recipient of the graciousness of God. God has set his grace on this young lady and on her life. Being the mother of the Savior is both wonderful and heartbreaking, and she will also experience the cross. One of the prophets in the temple is going to tell her about that day. He's going to pierce your heart through, Mary. Well, Gabriel tells her what the Lord is doing with her. Whatever is coming next, she must now believe it, and that is empowered by God and God's grace for her and the fact that his presence is with her. The statement confused her. And she kept thinking about it and what it meant. Mary was a thinker. I think she's a very intelligent young lady. She was a thoughtful girl. She will ponder the report of the shepherds for about nine, in about nine months from that time. Mary knows this about the Messiah. Imagine what she must have felt. She knew and understood that she was giving birth to God's son. Probably not what she was uh, expecting when she woke up that morning by any stretch of the imagination. For a humble person, this would serve to actually make them more humble than they were before because God is doing a work in them and through them. And that's what happens to us when we realize God is working through us and working in us. Uh, we, we are humbled by the fact that God would love us so much and care about us that he would choose us to love us. The appearance in verse 30 of the angel usually causes fear in human beings. It kind of startled Zacharias. It certainly uh, knocked Daniel to his knees a couple of times because of the majesty of the appearance of these angels. He tells her not to be afraid. So one of the things that happens mostly when an angel would appear to somebody is that it made them afraid. The reason she isn't to fear is because she's not found judgment with God, but favor with God, who had favorable judgment of her character. And God did that from heaven. This is the same reason for all of us not to fear. His children have his favor on them as well. And as our world grows darker and darker, we move into some difficult times in, in, our, in our country. 
I want you to all remember that we have the favor of God on us. We have his presence with us, and he cares about us, and he may have some difficult things for us to do, but by faith, we will get through them. Well, Mary, as a virgin, she will be pregnant and give birth to a son. <laughs> That's going to take some thinking and wonder, what, what is that all about? How does that happen? It's never happened in the history of mankind, but it's going to happen for her, and the angel tells her. She has no choice. God has decided that his name will be Jesus. He's even going to tell uh, Joseph, uh, name the child Jesus in a dream. The angel tells Joseph that was his name, and the first thing Joseph does is name him that. And he gave him that name, God did, because it says in the text, he will save his people. And you're his people. And he will save you if you'll trust in him as Savior. That's a lot for a young woman, I would think, to take in. It is incredible in terms of what she was being asked to believe. Now, Zacharias, on the other hand, had less to believe and had trouble with it. Mary doesn't doubt for a minute, and that's a big difference between these two spiritual people. Then in 32 to 35, her son con conceived by the power of the Spirit, and so the Son of God will also be a perpetual king on the throne of his ancestor David. So here's another great promise. He's going to reign as a king on the throne of David. And, uh, you know, there's been some times when the throne of David has been completely disrupted. And we're looking for a son of David to come and sit on that throne. And the promise in Scripture is that Jesus will come back for us, and then there'll be a great tribulation, and then he will come back in the second coming, slay all of his enemies. They will all be put to death. Then he will enter into his kingdom, and he will take the kingdom of Christ, and he will, he will make it into the kingdom of God, and he will reign on a throne in Israel, on the throne of his father David, who uh, at the millennial kingdom will be resurrected as well, and he will rule over Israel. David will, and Jesus will rule over the entire earth. In verse 32, the child she will bear will be great, and the son of the most high God, to whom God will give this throne, uh, the throne of his ancestor. Scholars agree that Mary understood that she was going to bear the, the Lord's Messiah. All right, so Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, she understood that. I believe they're right. Her son is greater than John. She's going to find out when she uh, goes to Elizabeth and spends time with her, who is already six months pregnant in a pregnancy that's impossible for her to have. In verse 33, her son will reign over Israel forever. Uh, you can read about the Davidic covenant where God promises David your throne will be forever in 2 Samuel 7, 13 to 16. And Jesus is the one who's going to make that true. He will be the last king of, of God's kingdom for the rest of eternity. There will be no other. I do want to uh, <clears throat> take a minute here and have you turn to Philippians. Talks about a little bit more that what we want to know in terms of uh, what Jesus Christ did when he took on flesh. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Paul says to the Philippians, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, that means something to be held on to, prize, or a windfall. Moving on, verse 7. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men. 
So the emptying of Jesus Christ was the taking on of human flesh. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. You only bow to God, period. And if you're going to bow to Jesus Christ and God says you're going to, it has to mean that Jesus is God. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Messiah, the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that's the, uh, that's the uh, in, in a small compendium of what is Jesus. That's what his life was like. That's what he did. He emptied himself and took on humanity, which is humility. And he laid aside his prerogatives as deity. He didn't stop being deity, always as deity. But he relied on the power of the Spirit of God uh, for everything that God would do through him. So the son, uh, this son of Mary will humble himself, taking on the form of human flesh and laying aside some of the prerogatives to instead be dependent on the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, yet not giving up any of his deity and certainly none of his humanity. Jesus is 100% human and 100% deity, two natures in one person. There will be no limit to his kingdom. It will have no end. In verse 34, Mary doesn't show a lack of faith at all here. She shows curiosity about how such a thing would take place since she's a virgin, mentioned over and over. Uh, how does somebody that's sexually inexperienced, a complete virgin, never been touched by a man, how, do, how is that going to happen that she's just going to be pregnant and there's no man around? Well, she wanted to know why. That's not a problem. It is the difference between questioning how God will do something as opposed to whether or not God can do something. That was Zacharias's problem. He didn't believe. And he got to, he got to go uh, the rest of his time that his wife was pregnant being completely mute because he didn't believe what God told him. Now Mary is perplexed. Nothing like this has ever happened before in history and will never happen again. Gabriel didn't take offense over her response like he did Zacharias's response. See the difference? Uh, <laughs> Now, in verse 20, Zacharias is going to be punished, but uh, this is not the way that Gabriel handles her. All he says for her, he says, you don't have to worry about how it's going to happen. Nothing is impossible with God. How many times have you read that? Do you believe it? Really? Do you believe it? Gabriel didn't take offense. Verse 35 Gabriel explains to her exactly what God will do to make this happen without really telling any, uh, any supernatural details of it, right? He makes known all she needs to know, and for her it sufficed. By the great power of God, he will control the situation, and it will be uh, just as he said it would be. The child's father is God, and he will also rightly be called the son of God. But because of uh, the legality of uh, biological, non-biological descendants, he's also the son of Joseph, a descendant of David. He is a holy child. He is set apart for the use of God. Well, finally, in our uh, text this morning, verses 36 to 38, since God does the impossible, Mary submits to his plan and asks that it be done to her according to the will of God. Would that be great? If that was all of our attitude, this is what God wants, 
This is his plan, and I want his plan to be done to me. I'm on board 100%. Now, for those of you who are believers, this is really what I'd like you to get out of this this Christmas. If you're an unbeliever, what I'd like you to get out of here is that you can have Jesus Christ as your Savior for the rest of eternity if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sins and believe that he died on the cross and rose again to pay for your sins, and he'll give you free life. That's what you need to do first. But if you're a believer... This is uh, leading to what I want us to know. There is a pattern in the text that emerges with the faithful. Now, I'm not saying Zechariah was not a faithful man, but he sure didn't show up when the angel showed up. The attitude of the faithful uh, and what they have is not my will, God, but yours be done. And by the way, do it in and through me. That's what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. We each need to ask. I can't ask it for you. I'm not going to try to browbeat you into doing it. That's not my job. I'm just to deliver the message. And I have to make up my mind. You have to make up your mind. Is that your attitude? Can God do anything? Is it okay, God, if you call me to do something? I'm in. Basically, let's just get on with the program. But what are we waiting on? Let's do it. Is that, uh, is that my attitude? It is faith that says to God, Use me as you will. Use me as you will. And as you've designed and you've planned, because it is your power that enables me in the first place. In verse 36, Gabriel tells Mary that God has worked a miracle in Elizabeth's life as well, and she's already six months pregnant. That's a jaw dropper. You're kidding. She's, she's not been able to have kids her whole life. What's going on? Now she's old. We thought it was no, no way it could happen. Well, with God, it can happen. Apparently, God doing this is no problem for him. None of it. Nothing is impossible with God. The things that are happening are mind-blowing. How God in Jesus took on human flesh. Unimaginable. I don't know how it worked, but it did. But it did. God, through his power, and listen, a faithful young woman has set in motion the crowning achievement of God's work in redemption not to take away from the cross it's all a package deal but without a birth we don't have a savior and God began his redemption then in verse 38 Mary considered herself a slave that's the word a bond servant a slave and let me ask you that are you a slave to yourself or your passions or other people or are you a slave to Jesus Christ Simple question. I have to ask myself the same question, right? Whose servant am I? Some Christians are serving alcohol. Some are serving pornography. Some are serving uh, infidelity. And some are serving other things. What God wants us to serve is Jesus Christ and be a bondservant for him. Let him give us the direction and the power to do what he wants us to do. Uh, this girl is a slave of God to use however God desires. He didn't check this plan out with her before he met her and sent Gabriel to go tell her what's going to happen. He didn't check with her and say, hey, would it be okay with you if you know, I miraculously uh, made you the mother of the Son of God? Was that all right with you? No, and he didn't ask Zechariah either. He answered a prayer for Zechariah, but he didn't ask him. He just, this is God's will. God's servants accept it. Mary considered herself a slave. So do I, identify, do I identify with her there? Mary, and here's what, what's going to be uh, really important. In fact, I added one to this uh, because uh, 
something one of my professors taught. Mary, just a young lady, right? We don't know exactly. She could be as young as 12. She could be as old as 16 or maybe 18. That'd be an old woman then. But she's just a young girl. But she has everything she needs to serve God in this way. Do you? I think. She needs to be these things. She needs to be faithful. And she needs to be available. And teachable. How do I know she's teachable? Because she's constantly listening to what people say. And pondering those things in her heart. That's teachable. Is she faithful? Every day. She's all about her relationship with God. Is she available? You know, that's what kicks a lot of us out of ministry. Maybe we're not teachable. Maybe we say we're faithful, but God, I'm not available. I got things to do. I got places to go, people to see. I got things to do. Sure, I'm faithful to you, but... but you need to find somebody else to do that. I'm not available or teachable. Learned all you need to learn. I'm done. Don't, go, don't need to go to Bible studies. Don't need to go to church. Don't need to read the Bible. Mary was none of those things. And those three things can set you on a different course in your life and my life. To be faithful, available, teachable. I don't suppose he's going to, but if God sent Gabriel to you this afternoon to tell you what he's going to do with your life and what he wants you to do, would you be those th three things? <laughs> I prayed earlier today that God would make us fat, faithful, available, teachable. And that's the way I want to be fat, not the way that I've also chosen. Not having one or both of those elements or all three of them knocks people out of service for God every day. Every day. Have you been there? Are you available, teachable, faithful? That's what this young lady teaches us. It's very clear that this is the kind of person that God wants to use, right? My voice will hold out here just another minute. Mary let God put her in a difficult situation. God drops us in difficult situations all the time. That's where we're supposed to be. And there we're faithful, available, and remain teachable. You put her in a difficult situation. Now she's pregnant in a society that looks down on that for unmarried girls. Our society doesn't do that much anymore, but it's still immoral. It's still not what God wants. He can forgive people for that, but he's put her in kind of a difficult situation. She said, go ahead. I'll do it for you. God desired that for her. It's the only way to get his son, and she believes that God is with her to care for her. And then she has an aunt that understands the power of God. Is an aunt or cousin, one of those two, Elizabeth. And she's going through a miraculous time herself. So she goes and spends quite a bit of time with her, and that's been a good thing. Well, um, it's uh, almost time for your Christmas meal. So let me just end with these applications. And this first one, uh, I'm parroting one of my professors, Daryl Bach. He said this, please learn this. 
spiritual greatness is a function of the heart. Remember we said God's eyes search to and throw throughout the whole earth to find a heart that's completely his? To find a heart that's completely his. God doesn't look at the outside of us. He looks at the inside of us. And when he looks at your heart, does he find somebody that's faithful, available, and teachable? That's where greatness is. Secondly, because of a young girl who served God, we have a Savior. Because of a man or a woman who served God, there's people who would say, I came to salvation because you out there were faithful to tell them the gospel. And that's a wonderful work. Maybe not giving birth to uh, the Savior of the world, but it's giving new birth to somebody who didn't have it. And thirdly, am I faithful and available to serve? You can add teachable to that. And finally this, nothing is impossible with God. He can and will save you if you believe in him. I'm going to say it one more time. I got to say it last night. said it a couple times already. If you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person or you go to church or you take communion or you got baptized and that's what you're counting on, you're living a lie. The Bible didn't say that. It didn't say you can be good and get to heaven, right? Jesus loves you so much. He came and he died in your place on your cross and paid a price you could only pay by spending eternity in hell the rest of eternity to pay for your sins. Instead, you believe Jesus did it for you and that he's going to forgive you of your sins and believe that he forgives you of your sins and you'll never face the condemnation of an eternity without God. And it's free. It's without cost. If you haven't made that decision, please do. And it'll be the best Christmas ever. Let's pray together. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this Christmas day. I want to thank you for bringing us to this point. Since last Christmas, this earth has hurtled through space 568 million miles. I just pray that if we uh, made that journey last year without Christ, that we would not make another journey around our son without the son. I pray that my brothers and sisters would have a joyous Christmas time, that they would have fellowship at the heart level and love one another. We pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.